Once More with Podcast. Welcome to Once More with Podcast. I'm Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Morgan Freeman! Oh my god, I'm this is so amazing! to be here. <laughs> oh, you're like one of my favourite actors in the whole world, I just have to say. Uh, my name's Athena, and I love Morgan Freeman. <laughs> That was my uh, best Morgan Freeman, just for you. Who? I thought, are you Are you not Morgan Freeman? What, what's going on? I'm... Actually, he, he just had to run out for some milk. Oh, <laughs> oh, that Morgan Freeman, he's such a good guy. He is, isn't he? <laughs> and I'm Torque. That's right, I'm going full on Scandinavian on you today. What? <laughs> but this is just blowing my mind. First I thought Morgan Freeman was in the room and I was so happy to speak to the great man himself and uh, and then you decide to go all Scandinavian. It's, it's <laughs> what, what what's going on? My mind is blown. Life is crazy. Life is crazy. It's almost like there's some sort of apocalypse coming up or something. Oh my god, it I is. I think everything's it's... gone a bit weird. <laughs> Hello. So, welcome <laughs> to once more with podcast. Welcome. The apocalypse uh, is coming, so why not listen to it? Sponsored by a Kessler. Um <laughs> He wants to swallow your world. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to do a podcast, so 11 episodes later, hello, here we are. <laughs> we we wanted to do a, a specific podcast, speaking of a Akathla, based on the number one episode of um, Buffy, based on, on the top 144 that we did for the 20th anniversary. So are we going to do like a quick 10 to 2 rundown? I think we Absolutely, should. because I don't have the list in front of me. I'm going to leave this uh, oh. in your capable hands. Oh, you see, if only you'd planned for this podcast like I have, <laughs> then, <laughs> which, rather ironically, I've done no planning whatsoever. Um, Hakuna Matata, baby. Hakuna Matata. <laughs> so I have the list. So I'm going to go down, top 10 styly. I'm going to do my best radio DJ voice for this. <clears throat> No Morgan Freeman? <laughs> I don't think I could do a Morgan Freeman impression. I think the man is too great. Yeah, in order, I, My accents are not brilliant. And I would just be worried that I would seriously offend the great man. And Well, I'm going to say this. It can't be worse than David Boreanaz as Irish. That <laughs> is very true. He literally offended the whole... <laughs> country of Ireland and every single Irish person who lives elsewhere on the planet. Is it as bad, though, as Kendra's Jamaican accent? But wasn't it supposed to be some kind of obscure uh, tribal accent that just kind of that is a real accent it's just so unusual that nobody gets it? I did hear that that was what they were going for and that they brought a special Jamaican dialect coach in but 
I don't know. I've never been to Jamaica. I've only ever seen Jamaican people in the media and obviously had uh, an idea of how Jamaicans... But I think we might go. <laughs> I beg pardon? I think we might go there. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> oh, my God, it was like Kendra was here. That's amazing. How do you do that? You're so incredible. It's like I'm talking to all these like famous people and it's like, oh, it's actually Target. Oh, my God. Oh, mind blown. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, ten, uh, top, ten, top ten. Uh, number ten was actually a three-way joint affair with passion, full for love, and who are you? Number nine was graduation day part two. A joint number six was innocence, uh, the body, and the gift. Joint number four was becoming part one. And once more with feeling. And then joint number two was Prophecy Girl and Hush. And uh, drum roll, please. Number one was Becoming Part Two. Woo! Woo! Uh, It's interesting that um, Becoming Part One rated like. I mean, it's still in top five, but that, I mean, that there is a gap between part one and two. I think it's probably because part two has that iconic ending. Yeah. Because as I was watching them, because uh, obviously it's really hard to watch part two without watching part one. So we will be talking about both of them. Uh, yeah. Since part one sets up part two. Yeah. Um, and they are, but, they are very much... Uh, like you said, you can't really have part two without understanding part one. So in a way, although they're parts one and two, we're looking at it as becoming as a whole. Yeah, and uh, actually when I was watching, I I mean, I'm not going to say necessarily that part one is better than two, but I, there was a lot. I, I really like part one. I feel like it, yeah, I don't know. I just. I, I was surprised by how much I liked part one because I always think of part two being the best one. But if you guys go back and watch them, I think you can find that part one is pretty bloody amazing as well. I think part one is great because you've kind of got key moments from Angel's past, how he becomes Angelus, his interactions with obviously Dala and with Drusilla all kind of sets up the events that are going to unfold in episode two. But you really get a good idea of who Liam was. Well, you don't get a fantastic idea, but you get an, you get an idea of, you know, he's a drunk, he's lazy, he's good for nothing kind of guy. And um, he obviously gets turned into a vampire by Dala and becomes Angelus, who is, well... He's he's an interesting fellow, isn't he? <laughs> he's not the sort of guy you want to take home to your mother. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> it's so obviously the, do, the, the past and the future, and it's all kind of comes together. I think they do a really great job with, I mean, showing those key moments in Angel's life. Uh, I mean, they cover a great span, but you really get a good idea. And, I mean, it's a small show at this point, so I think they do a lot with the time they have. I mean, it's, I mean, what, they have like 40 minutes to tell a story, uh, and they 
tells very well and cohesively. I, I, I was just, I was impressed when I was watching it because I, I do love the flashbacks and I also really love, um, I love getting more, you know, the, there is some focus on, well, the, I guess they weren't called out then, but the Fang Four, you know, that there's also a lot about with Angelus and Spike and Drew in the present. And I just love, 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 love their dynamic. I just, the three of them together is amazing. Personally, one of my favorite scenes in Becoming Part One is the scene when Drusilla is in the confession booth. Yeah. Um, and when I rewatched that particular scene, she is going for confession. And obviously the priest is no longer with us at that point because Angelus has killed the priest. So Drusilla tells Angelus about the visions um, that she's having. And uh, he basically just says, well, you know, you're a devil child and you are a sinner. And obviously for a young woman, a young Catholic woman to hear that from her priest must have just been horrendous. You know, you go to the priest to absolve yourself of your sins. You don't go to the priest for him to say, well, actually, yes, you are a sinner. And it's all obviously just part of his continuous torture of her up until he eventually turns her. I think that scene is, I think it's shot really well. And I think it's obviously done in such a way to be very atmospheric. And I think it's probably one of my favourites in part one, definitely. Because it tells us a lot about the young Drusilla, and it tells yes. us a lot about what an evil, I can't think of the word to use, evil thing Angelus actually is. Yeah, he's, um, he's a charmer. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, um, I don't know if we should talk chronologically or if we should just kind of delve into it. I'm guessing that most people who listen to this have seen these episodes, so we probably can just dip in and out a little. Uh, yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll just, yeah. We can just highlight the main things. I don't think we need to talk about it chronologically. No. And uh, I'm going to stick with the thing for a little while because, as mentioned, I do think that they have, like, this great chemistry. They're just great characters. Uh, and it is kind of interesting that both Liam and William are seduced by these kind of strong, slightly crazy women and become vampires. <laughs> Obviously, um, we don't see Spike become a vampire here, but... No. Um, but the the names, William and, and Liam, are essentially the same name as yeah. well. Um, Liam is obviously the Irish version of William. But so. what I was thinking when I was watching this, if Buffy had been made now, or let's say if this had been an option then, because, you know, the Vampire Diaries, they have a spin-off show called The Originals, which is about, like, the like original vampire family, I believe. Uh, do you think that if Buffy was made now or if it had been an option then, do you think that there could have been a spin-off with the whole thing for? Do you think that would have been a cool thing? If it was done now, I think that they would milk the cash cow for as much as they could milk it because that is generally what happens with TV shows now is you always have spin-offs or sequels or prequels or everything. So I think if... if Buffy was made now, I definitely think that there would probably be a fanged for spin-off. Whether it would be any good, based on, obviously, if the show was made today against 
the fact that there was none back then and the little glimpses that we did have of the Fanged Four in flashbacks and stuff. I definitely think it would be around, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just wonder how much you could get out of their stories. I don't know. I think you could get a lot, and not to mention that, you know, they have, like, a couple of centuries history between them, so, you know, I think oh, that that's... that's nothing. A couple of centuries. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think, I, I don't know, that idea just uh, tickled me because I love these characters so much, and I love their interplay. Uh, there's, like, that scene where... Drusilla speaks of her vision of Acosla and Angel or Angelus is all like, you see all that in your head? And then Spike is there to uh, <laughs> ruin the moment and just goes like, no, you ninny, she read about it in the morning paper. <laughs> uh, and it's just, um, I don't know, they just have a great chemistry, the whole group of them. I think they really do. And one of my wishes for the, the show in general would have been to see more Drusilla, just as a whole, because I think she's just such a fantastic character, and I really, really would have loved to have seen, in the later seasons of Buffy, Drew coming back, um, especially when Spike was so enamoured with Buffy and was so obsessed with her, similarly to how he was uh, obsessed with Drew back in the day. I would have loved Drew to have come back into that, how she would have reacted to... Spike being so obsessed with the Slayer and um, but she is in that what's the, um, that episode where she comes back I can't remember what it's called in season 5 yeah but not so she knows that he he is in love with the Slayer because she even tells him that mm. she is because she yeah she left to go with the chaos demon didn't she yeah um, yeah <laughs> with the, hor- the horns I didn't mean horns I mean I meant antlers <laughs> with the antlers but no I'm I'm talking sort of beyond that sort of season six and into season seven where obviously Spike decides to get his soul and that I would have loved to have seen Drew come back but she never did and that that's really sad because I kind of felt that the actors had a great chemistry and just generally all four of them together were great but then I suppose Darla was actually and Darla and Drew were quite present on Angel Yes. Uh, was it season two or three of Angel? I can't remember. Uh, when they're both in it? It's when they're season, both, yeah. Um, and that's really great, because, I mean, the thing is that Drew is crazy, but she's not completely crazy. I mean, clearly she can manage without Spike, uh, and I think that that makes her... I mean, she is such a complex and interesting character in mm-hmm. that sense, because she's... Let's call her an odd bird, but <laughs> uh, there's just something very compelling about her, and she feels capable and strong, even though she's kind of bonkers. Yeah. Which um, I also, I love it in uh, Becoming Part One when she actually fights Kendra. I mean, they don't fight a lot, a lot, but it was just great to get to see Drusilla fight somebody because, you know, she quite quickly overpowers Kendra, and it's easy to forget because, you know, she's basically just the crazy vampire in the background while Spike and Angel do all these cool, like, back kicks and whatever. Uh, and she wears these flowy dresses, but it's it's easy to forget what a powerful vampire she really is. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, yeah I don't sorry. know. I, 
I mean, I really like the the fight with Kendra, but I do feel like it's over really quickly. And I understand yeah. why, because Drusilla has this ability to enthrall Kendra and put her under like her spell. And it's actually quite scary in a way that, that Drusilla has that sort of power to be able to do it. But I would have loved to have seen a proper fist fight. <laughs> you know, just a just a really good old fashioned fist fight. But yeah, so Drew kills her first slayer. And uh, Spike's yeah. really pleased. <laughs> Spike's so proud. <laughs> Spike has the best quote of the episode, which is it's a big rock. Can't wait to tell my friends. It's big. <laughs> I wanted to ask, or let's Let's discuss. There are several flashbacks in Becoming Part One. What do you personally think of the flashback to 1996, where Angel is sitting in a car, uh, looking out of the window, watching a young Buffy leave (laughs) high school? She is obviously a different Buffy to the Buffy that we know. She appears to be very spoiled and, you know, a little bit vain quite similar to the Buffy from the original movie and he obviously observes her staking her first vampire so basically we're we're led to believe that Angel has been watching her for some time and this is the sort of catalyst that makes Angel decide that he wants to help her because this is LA isn't it this is yeah Um, I don't think he's been watching her for some time isn't it just like a day like he sees her get called and he sees her during the evening, and then he watches her at night. But, I mean... No, I don't mean by that point. I mean, so obviously, by the time we get to Sunnydale... Oh, uh, okay, yeah. He must have been watching her for a while, because it's not like she left L.A. the day after and moved to Sunnydale, so... No. He... So maybe he just... I mean, I'm, I, I just assume that, you know, he watched her in L.A., then he went and, like, beefed up a little, <laughs> practiced his uh, fighting skills or whatever and set up in Sunnydale and just waited. I've always found that a bit creepy. <laughs> but your 200-odd-year-old vampire boyfriend was actually stalking you while you lived in Los Angeles. And yeah, that's much, and I think that he you. just saw her during one day and then decided that, yeah, I want to help do good, but as Whistler says in the flashback, obviously Angel is in no no condition to help anyone, so I just figured that, you know, he went to Sunnydale and set up and, you know, started I don't know, eating pig's blood and training and stuff, and then just waited for her to come there, because I assumed that, you know, that was kind of foretold or whatever by the powers that be that she was going to come, because he kind of said that in the wish, too, that he was waiting for her and she never, never came. Um, That's a good point. I didn't think so, of that. Uh, I just figured that he saw her and then went and did his thing. But I also think I am a flashback because I feel like when you see it also in context with like who Liam was and who Angelus was, I really feel like it is the first time in... Liam slash Angel's 240-something life that he actually thinks about someone else than himself. Uh, I feel like it is the first time he really steps out of being completely self-centered. Because obviously Liam was not a great person, or so we're led to believe, uh, or maybe not the most 
responsible or I mean he he was probably a bit of a spoiled brat himself uh, and then he was and jealous and then jealous was obviously not the nicest person <laughs> mm-hmm. so I do feel like it's um, it, it's a nice thing because I feel like you can really see it on him that it's like the first time ever he has to step out of himself uh, and think about and or actually and actually thinks about somebody else and realizes uh, someone else's pain or struggle, you know. Mm. I do react, however, to the fact that Buffy has like the biggest windows into her bathroom. <laughs> I never noticed the size of her windows. <laughs> well, it's like the, 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 there's the scene when after she has killed the first vampire, and then she comes home and her parents start fighting, and you see her oh, going yes. to the bathroom and she's yes. crying and looking in the mirror. But I mean, Angel's watching her through the windows, but it's like huge windows, and I'm like, why would you want that big windows into your bathroom? And also, most bathroom windows are, like, frosted, aren't they? So you can't actually look in from the outside? Yeah, I, I think they're lying to us. I don't think that was a bathroom at all. I don't think it was a bathroom. I think I might have gone to set. <laughs> what? Filmed on a set? Don't be ridiculous. That's her actual genuine house in L.A. <laughs> they filmed that. And then they obviously, you know, got an estate agent. They sold up, did all the paperwork. <laughs> Yeah, oh. it, it takes a while in <laughs> TV land. You know, it's, it's so uh, jarring also in that flashback because Buffy is dressed so... Uh, I mean, it's she's super cute, but she looks so young in that outfit. They, it's uh, almost like they do it on purpose with her sucking on the lollipop. and Yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah. a bit too much, but <laughs> but it really feels like it's, it's such a sharp contrast with from the Buffy we know, even though obviously Sarah did not grow younger, uh, she really looks, I mean, for me, she looks kind of almost like she's like 14 there, you know, she looks really young. I mean, I know she's not like wearing a school uniform or anything like that, but I kind of equate it to like the Britney Spears, like put a school uniform on someone and they automatically, like, and pigtails, and they automatically yeah. look super young. It doesn't matter how old you are. You just like <laughs> you you lose several years. Obviously, the older you are, the more years you lose by, you know, looking like a schoolgirl. So yeah, I think they they obviously went out of their way to make her look considerably younger. Even though it's only well, it was 1996, wasn't it? So it would only have been technically a couple of years ago. But she does seem to look considerably younger than she. I am. Um, because she's, she's 17 yeah. at this stage, isn't she? So, yeah, yeah, she would have been, like, 15. <laughs> By yeah. the way, still lingering on that flashback, uh, Merrick is kind of hilarious. Because he's, like, <laughs> there you can talk about a weird creep who, like, walks up to her <laughs> in the schoolyard. And in front of all these people, he's like, you have to stop them. And she's like, who? And he's like, the vampire. <laughs> super intense. Uh, and <laughs> and you're kind of like, okay, man, maybe you want to wrap that up a little bit more nicely for her to process and maybe not tell her publicly <laughs> if this is a secret. No, I think if you're going to tell someone they're the Slayer, you just come out and you tell them. Don't use any code words for it. Just be like, love, you're the Slayer. You're going to kill vampires. And make sure you tell as many people in the vicinity as possible so that everyone knows that that's what's I was happening. thinking about also watching uh, part two because there's this lovely um, I mean when, when Buffy and Joyce kind of face off and uh, Buffy yells at her mom but then she says uh, you know like 
you washed blood out of my clothes so many times and you still haven't figured it out. And I'm like, because Vampire Slayer is the first logical conclusion. <laughs> like, it's such a weird thing to say. Like, you still haven't figured it out. <laughs> yeah, but... Wouldn't you just assume that you have been a gang? I don't know. I don't know. If I was a, a mother of a teenage girl who came back with blood on her clothing all the time and stayed out really late, I don't know what I'd think. But yeah, I genuinely wouldn't think Vampire Slayer is the first thing. But well, now when you have a daughter and that happens, you can you know be sure to ask her: Are you a vampire slayer? Oh no, I've completely learned from from Joyce's experience, and my daughter's going to be locked in the attic like Cinderella. <laughs> um, <laughs> literally, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking rags. I'm thinking, you know, she comes out every so often to sing a little song and do some housework, and then she goes straight back upstairs, and that's it. Basically, Joyce's experience through the whole of the show has made me rethink my future parenting abilities. <laughs> I wanted to discuss Willow in this episode is interesting. Let's talk about Willow. Okay. Because she ends up finding Jenny Callender's, uh, the, the floppy disks, with the information about restoring Angel's soul. And it kind of gets her on the path to witchcraft. Really. Yeah, it does. This is kind of the... Because obviously we know that she does a lot of the research in the group and she reads a lot of the books. But I don't recall before this episode, her dabbling in any sort of spells or anything like that. So, really, I think we can take from this that Angel losing his soul is the reason that season six happened. <laughs> can we not? <laughs> Actually, no. I love season six. So, I, I've got nothing but thanks for Angelus and his uh, lack of soul. But... Um, I just think it's really interesting, the difference between her opinion on getting Angel's soul back and um, Xander's, because Xander is basically of the opinion that Angela should be finished, that, that Angel should be no more. You know, um, I've always felt like um, that Xander does have a great point in that scene and that he does say things that Buffy needs to hear. But when I was watching it now... I was actually really shocked when uh, he says, like, oh, who cares? And then Buffy, like, really weakly goes, like, I care. And then Sandra goes, is that right? And he says it and looks at her with such venom that it was actually uncomfortable to watch. Like, he was not my favorite person in that scene. And I have defended him in that scene before. But seeing it now, I was like, dude. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, he and Willow have very different standpoints there, and I think partly it's probably that Willow comes at it from the perspective of, like, uh, a girlfriend, you know, that she has Buffy's side in a, you know, in a different kind of way, that she's, like, that kind of girlfriend loyalty, you know, yeah. that yeah, she's mostly but... thinking of the Buffy of it, and Sander is thinking of the punishment of it or what's just right you know that somebody should pay for Miss Calendar's death yeah I and think maybe I'm... also a little that he doesn't like Angel <laughs> yeah he's definitely thinking a bit more pragmatically I think 
But as well, I'm of the opinion that at this point, Xander is still quite hooked on Buffy and he is jealous of her relationship with Angel and I think at this point Xander would pretty much say or do anything to get Angel out of the picture because he's just so jealous of their relationship Um, pretty much because I mean he's even more like not even Giles is reacting that way and Giles obviously cared a lot more about Miss Calendar than Xander did so I don't feel, you know, I don't really buy that Sander is that concerned about Miss Calendar's death. No, I think he's just using that as an excuse. Yeah, but But I also also feel like psychologically that maybe he wants the world to be more simple, that he's like, vampire's bad because, you know, Jesse has died, Miss Calendar has died, so he kind of clings to that whole vampires are bad, vampires go dust, you know, like really wants it to be good and evil succinctly or you know clearly separated yeah i'd probably believe that a bit more if he'd actually mentioned jesse at any point yeah (laughs) over the last two seasons of tv because the poor guy has not even been spoken of so i don't know if they did that on purpose whether it was literally oh well he's there and now he's a vampire and now he's dead so we're not going to mention him again but Considering they were all supposed to be really good friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they would only need to, like, mention it. It could be a throwaway line. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't be like they had to talk about him all the time. Uh, so, yeah, it is a bit weird that they never mention him again. But, um, <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. About this plan to end the world, why would Angelus want that? Because he's evil? Yeah, but I don't really get it, because he's not stupid. Like, nothing (laughs) we've seen of him has led us to think that he's stupid. And, like, why would he want to bring about hell or, like, swallow the world? Because Spike is clearly in the right here uh, when he says that, you know, you have happy meals on legs. You know, you have all these uh, people walking around, and vampires are basically maybe not top of the food chain, but they're pretty high on the food chain. Uh, and if you bring about hell, I mean, there's going to be all these other demons, and they're going to be lower on the, you know, they're going to be low in the pecking order, you know? So I'm like, I'm not sure I buy why Angelus wants to end the world. Because, I mean, I totally buy that Drusilla would be into it, because she's crazy, so she doesn't think about the consequences. But Angelus is not crazy, and he's not stupid, so... I don't understand at all why he thinks this is a good idea. Unless he's just like, uh, screw it, I'm 250 years old, I'm tired of this, let's just stir some shit up, you know? (laughs) I think it's really difficult to kind of go into the psyche of a 250-year-old vampire. I mean, it's not a personal experience I've ever had, so... Um, oh well shame to be you (laughs) i'm actually 400 years old (laughs) to be honest i'd never actually thought of it i'd never thought of the practicalities of what angelus was doing and his (laughs) choices for doing so i just figured it was a case of he can so he is he figured out how to bring a cattler about and i guess just figured what the hell Life's too short. Let's just go for it. I honestly don't know. And I I can't even think of uh, a suitable explanation. 
Really? No, because there is no suitable explanation, because Spike is totally right here. Like, uh, the world is great for them, you know? Except that they can't go out in the day, but, I mean, that doesn't seem like a world-ending kind of drama. (laughs) So, yeah, I I don't know. I I just don't get it, and it it annoys me when I watch it, because I'm like, I don't see why he would be doing that at all. I mean, if he wants to make a statement, as in... I am someone to be reckoned with. I am super evil, which, I mean, unless he genuinely doesn't think that it's going to work. Yeah, yes. I don't know. Or maybe he just thinks he's a bigger deal than he is. Maybe, maybe he just got in too far, it's too, you know, above his, above his head and he maybe doesn't realise, maybe he's just not thought ahead. He's just thinking, yeah, this is a great idea. I'm going to, basically invoke hell on earth and it's all going to be good and he's not actually thought of the consequences but like you say he's an intelligent vampire he doesn't seem to be the sort that would just do something for the sake of doing it without thinking of the consequences i mean this is this is a sort of calculated evil that has been going on for several episodes he has gone out of his way to torture buffy and her friends and you know kill jenny calendar And the the way that he's gone about doing that has not been an over-the-top expression of, you know, rage or anger. It's been a sort of more subtle threat. And he's never come across as a sort of bombastic, pompous statement vampire that would go about the whole sort of world ending just on a whim. He clearly puts thought into what he does. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I just, I don't get it. It really annoys me. (laughs) Really, for me, it's, the whole story going from the revelations in Surprise and Innocence through to Becoming that make this sort of part of season two so fascinating and so compelling because Angelus is terrifying. Yeah. The way he very calmly threatens and, you know, he's, he's not being very over the top about it. The way he leaves the drawings of Buffy while she's sleeping. Yeah, which is... It, Freaking terrifying, by That's the way. The thing. It's, if he wanted to kill, to maim in a, in a violent way, he could do that. And we know that he could, but he chooses not to. He chooses to calculate and think about it. So, yeah, and also, like, up until this point, he has been pretty singularly focused on psychologically ruining Buffy yeah. and in the, in the intent of eventually killing her. But when she shows up, at the ritual, at the end of Becoming Two, uh, when he's about to wake in a couple she shows up by chopping off one of his vampire's heads, and he looks at her, and he, like, kind of rolls his eye, and he's like, I don't have time for you. It's like, suddenly, he has zero interest in her, uh, and killing her, or anything. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a bit jarring that he's, like, this is what he's been working towards to kill her, and then suddenly he's not interested at all. That's because he's found a cattle now. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> Buffy was, you know, last season, this is this is what I want now. Uh, I want to end the world. And uh, he's obviously very focused on, um, on that. So do you want to say anything else about becoming part one? Or shall uh, we move on? We can move on. I, I would actually like to say that... Uh, throughout the episode, uh, I think that Sander shows himself to be very brave. Like, I don't really like it when he, you know, 
wants to kill Angel, obviously, that whole scene. But, like, at the start of the episode, he's out patrolling with Buffy because Angelus is out after her, uh, which is, you know, he's just a teenage boy. That's a brave thing for him to do. And, obviously, at the end of part one, there's this fight in the sea, in, in the library mm-hmm. when uh, they're coming for uh, the for Giles. And, you know, Sander gets in there and he fights and obviously he gets his arm broken and he still protects Cordelia and tells her to run. And, uh, I, you know, just generally he's very throughout brave for a regular person in this situation, I would say. And also Cordelia in the Scooby Gang, it's pretty terrific in this episode. It made me really miss Cordelia in later seasons, because now uh, I feel like she does have a part in the gang, and I feel like she and Buffy are kind of friendly here. I mean, there's this great scene where they're in all having uh, lunch together, and then, you know, when Angelus is obviously setting up his trap for Buffy, which she falls for, Cordelia is the one who goes like, shouldn't you just stay here? Maybe he'll phone you, which is actually the voice of reason. (laughs) Um, But, um, so yeah, um, a bit of a shout out in episode one to uh, Sander and Cordelia. I must admit, Cordelia, she does feel like she has become, by this point, more of a Scooby than she was previously she was just kind of on the periphery really but she she's clearly kind of getting a bit more involved in everything and it's it's really nice and and i agree i watching an episode like this i do miss cordelia and yeah it's also in the scene where they um tell giles that they figured out that miss calendar was working on the restoration spell like if one watches that scene cordelia is poised and attentive and very you know she she's listening hard uh and it's just very you know obviously she's like this is good right like she's aware of how practical it is if they can resoul angel mm. uh whereas for example sander is more clouded by his emotions um and she does also defends Sander, Sander's position, but it just shows her as this, you know, this clear-headed, pragmatic person that you don't always think of her as. Yeah. How do you feel, take away what we know will happen because of it later on, but how do you feel about the show bringing Kendra back just to kill her off? Because essentially that's what they did. Yeah. Do you think that the show could have continued with Kendra um no No. (laughs) okay (laughs) because Kendra is uh she the Slayer line runs through Kendra now so without Kendra dying we wouldn't get Faith no so I think based on that I think we can all admit that Faith is a much more compelling character than Kendra was ever going to be Obviously, they're showing off how different Slayers can be, and I feel like Kendra has a very limited range because, you know, she is just a Slayer. Like, that's literally what she was brought up to do, and she doesn't really have much of a personality or friends or history beyond that. So I just feel like she's not all that compelling as a character, except for as a, oh, this could have been you, Buffy. Um, but in general, it's she's not that interesting, you know? I don't dislike Kendra. I kind of feel that they could have maybe developed Kendra a little bit more. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I don't dislike her, but I definitely feel like she's pretty much a flat character. Like, they don't, they haven't really given her anything that's particularly compelling in general, you know? Like, she's just this textbook with arms, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she she is basically the, the quintessential slayer, the slayer that has been trained from a young age that have no friends. I also think it's it's nice that they brought her back just to kill her because... Oh, that's nice. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, even nice is not the right word. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's good in the sense that it reminds us of Buffy's mortality, that, you know, she may be a superhero. They're both superheroes but all that's needed is one particularly powerful vampire and you can go, you can die. So I think it's nice in that way that it's like they, they remind you um, of how dangerous Buffy's life is. Bye, Kendra. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously from Kendra, we did get Mr. Pointy. <laughs> yeah. No. Shout out to Mr. Pointy. Um, <laughs> we've obviously, we've got to a point where at the end of the episode, poor Willow is underneath a, a bookcase cordelia has obviously escaped xander is unconscious and kendra is unfortunately gone and poor giles has been kidnapped and i have two main things to say here okay end of uh, ep- uh, episode one obviously whistler's speech is amazing but buffy's blue coat when she's running Best coat ever to run dramatically in, I must say. She Best looks amazing. dramatic run ever. <laughs> uh, she looks really amazing. And then as episode two opens, obviously, she is being taken by police. And I absolutely love what she calls Snyder a stupid little girl. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it's then, amazing. Then she runs away. And this. I mean, I'm, I'm like, maybe this is an American thing, but, I mean, she runs away, and the police officer who, who comes out immediately tries to shoot her. Like, the the woman police officer, she doesn't run after her. She immediately shoots at her and then tells her other cop friends to chase her. I think it's an American thing. Because I'm like, why would you shoot first? You don't know if she's guilty. But, I mean... Here in the UK, our police officers don't carry weapons. So here, that would never happen. Whereas in America, well, from media and from the couple of times I've been over, I've never not seen a police officer without a sort of weapon of some sort. So I'm like, would that be standard practice or is that just like... I mean, is that just, like, for the drama of the show, or would that actually be acceptable to just shoot at a teenager whom you don't know has done anything? Well, at this point, she is the only suspect in a murder, and not that I'm saying that the police officer in this situation is is in the right, because I don't think she is, but she has resisted arrest, and she is on the run. As far as they're concerned, she's just killed someone. Uh, fair um, enough, I guess. But I she, do feel she like... She could kill someone else, as far as I they think, know. I do feel like maybe she should have run after Buffy first, because, well, like, why stop, shoot, and then gesture for others? I, yeah, I just... 
but it just really like to me that's kind of shocking that you would just shoot someone like that or try to well a bullet travels faster than a person (laughs) and I suppose they can just go for the non-lethal shot um you know but I mean she shoots after her and it hits the glass where it's like basically if it had hit Buffy it looks like it might have hit her head or something so it's not like she's shooting for the legs or anything yeah she was just trying to shoot her hair off or something it's fine (laughs) non-lethal I told you (laughs) You're just saying that because you love Grand Theft Auto and killing the group. I was just, do you know what? I was just thinking about the sort of <laughs> the sort of kill shots I try in in Grand Theft Auto, and generally it is a headshot. Uh, <laughs> headshots are generally the kill shots. Um, but I must admit, I'm not a very good shot. I have to have the target mode on, <laughs> so because otherwise I would never hit anything. So that's uh, that's the only reason I managed to complete Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> I had the assisted. Uh, assisted shooting on but anyway we digress uh, let's let's not talk about me killing people in grand theft auto because i am not a killer i'm a slayer <laughs> there's a difference so stupid little troll principal snyder who's he's so he's so smarmy and he's just he's smug and i just he, love him in both of these episodes he's amazing yeah. he is so good because he's just it's like all of his dreams have come true because he sees Buffy as this troublemaker. He wants her out of the school. He wants her gone. And he's just so smug about it. And and it is yeah. literally disturbing when he's happy. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, um, yeah, so Buffy obviously puts a disguise on to go to the hospital. Um, the best disguise ever. Best disguise. <laughs> it's to basically be honest, a hat. She... <laughs> I, I was expecting the comedy glasses and the, the plastic moustache, but I was disappointed. Did, is it ever made clear? I'm trying to remember. Um, how? I, actually, I suppose thinking about it, there's probably only one hospital in Sunnydale, isn't there? Yeah, probably. So, I was just but thinking, you never know. how I mean, they have an airport hospital, and the docks, but... so maybe, oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe they have several hospitals. Who knows? Well, maybe they've got several docks and several airports. It could be a really big city for all we know. But, yeah, I was going to ask, how did she know which hospital? But clearly it's not a big enough town to have more than one hospital. You know, speaking of Snyder, uh, you know when he expels Buffy and he gets his uh, happy little smirk on uh, and she has her fantastic, you never ever got a single date in high school, did you, line? Uh, Then he calls the mayor and says, tell the mayor I have good news. And I was like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's great foreshadowing for season three, you know. Um, But I also felt, it felt so weird because it feels like season two and season three are such different animals. I mean, I just feel like when you watch, it just feels like it's a completely different show almost. I don't know if it's the quality of the images or something, um, but it feels like there's more than just like, it feels like season three is farther away from season two than it should be, you know, or than it is. I yeah, mean. it definitely feels, it feels almost like a different show, but not in a bad way. No, exactly. I mean, it just feels really different. Yeah. But there's there's actually a couple of, in season two, that I think there were a couple of hints to the mayor. They never mentioned him by name, yes, but a couple of times they mention, oh, the mayor will find out about this. and Yeah, in like hard also yeah 
Yeah, it's really clever, actually, because at that point, you're like, you don't even care. It's like a throwaway line about some, you know, random guy who, oh, okay, meh, whatever. But it's it's really clever that in season three, we do actually end up meeting the mayor and we find out all about him. Obviously, at this point, we, like, like I said, Buffy's in the hospital. She finds uh, Xander and Willow, and obviously at that point, Willow is... Will- I can't speak. Willow is in a coma. Yeah. At that point, and it's only then I think they realise that Giles isn't there, and then we have. Well, I wouldn't say they're. Well, they're difficult because they are really good scenes, with the the, the torture scenes, but they're really horrible scenes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I do think it's very effective that they don't really show the torture. You just yeah. kind of see Angela's grinning face and Giles's pain. Uh, which I think is a rather nice way to do it. I've always found that, like, you know when you've, you've got a sort of a generic horror movie and there's loads of blood and guts and, and everything and you you kind of, I personally, I don't get scared by, you know, blood and guts and, and visual horror because... No, it's like too much. It's just, yeah. Yeah, whereas implied horror you know implied torture is so much worse because your brain can basically interpret that however it wants in my head when uh, one of the scenes uh i always picture that he is either like pulling off his fingernails or shoving things under fingernails which is one of the worst things oh that's horrible that is literally just making my whole body clench (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is um that's really not nice. No, and that's where my mind goes every time. And I'm yeah. like, no, it's terrible. But I think, like you said, if you'd have seen that on screen, it, it would have been horrific, but you wouldn't have had that same emotional response to it. Whereas if it's implied, you can hear someone screaming, but you can't see what they're doing, or you can just see Angelus's wicked grinning face or whatever. It's, it's so much more compelling Absolutely, and like just the pleasure he takes in it, it's uh, very disturbing. Yes, disturbing, that's the word I was trying to think of, it just didn't didn't come out. But yeah, and it it definitely kind of ramps up the tension for the the final showdown with Buffy, because this is essentially her her father figure. And Angelus knows that he is literally hitting Buffy where it will hurt her the most, in a sense, not only that Giles is Giles, but also, he is the, the brain of the group. He's the knowledge base. He's the one who would help them stop this apocalypse from happening. Because he's, he's the only one who would have the knowledge to do so. So the fact that Angelus has got him and is torturing him, and the fact that Giles is, is completely resisting everything. I mean, it just shows what a strong character Giles is. You know what I think is interesting? This is actually from episode one, but uh, when Giles is called to, uh, like, look upon a Akakla in, like, the museum or whatever, and he kind of comes in like some kind of expert, and I'm like, what is Giles' education level? Like, obviously he went to uh, university, but I'm like, is he, like, a trained archaeologist? Is he, like, I'm like, why is he being called in on this? <laughs> this is me overthinking, I know. There's like a Watcher Academy or something. We yeah, don't know. I'm guessing that he has some expertise, but it, it, it was just like kind of funny that it's like, 
I don't know. <laughs> that he would be called in as some kind of expert. <laughs> I do love in literally every single episode of Buffy, like in the earlier the earlier episodes, where, where they tend to kind of look at books a bit more than Willow Googling stuff. But it's always, Giles always seems to know the exact book yeah. and the exact <laughs> demon and the exact page that he needs to go to. And it, it just always brings a little bit of joy to my life when it's like, Giles, you know, we're facing a demon. Who is it? And he just thinks about it and he's like, I know who it is. If we look in this book here, page 24, <laughs> and it's like, here's all the information that we need. And, and here's everything we know about the demon and how to kill it. So it's like... Oh, Giles, I love you so much. <laughs> you are just like a fountain of knowledge. But, yeah, where where he got that knowledge from, who knows, but he's amazing. We love Giles. He is amazing. <laughs> so, how many people do you think ships Giles and Drusilla now? <laughs> do you know what? It's it's not something that I ever kind of put any thought into before re-watching this episode. But then it's clear to me that... Drew can stop at any time and she just carries on and carries on and carries on so clearly it's not that she's just completely mad it's it tells us that Giles is a good kisser (laughs) well I think we need to ask Joyce oh fair point Joyce herself does admit that you know it is twice on the bonnet of a car so Giles is clearly no slouch (laughs) <laughs> when it comes to the, the love department. So, I think we could all do with a little bit of Giles in our lives. And uh, to everybody good. listening, I bet this is not where you thought the discussion <laughs> of becoming part two would yeah. go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounded a lot less dirty in my head, I have to be honest. But. <laughs> anyway, let's... Because <laughs> anyway. the poor guy's guy being uh, tortured right now. <laughs> to bring this love fest to a crashing halt... Let's bring in some social awkwardness and celebrate the fantastic scene that is Spike and Joyce sitting awkwardly together in the <laughs> living room, uh, which is just one of the best non-talking scenes ever. It is so awkward. It's terrific. It, it is brilliant. <laughs> and it's the fact that she, she just kind of looks at him and, and she's like, she recognizes him. And she asks him, and he says, oh, you, you hit me on the head with an axe once. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it's um, it's very funny. But to me, I think just as funny is the excuse that they give to Joyce outside about them being in a band. Yes. <laughs> and about Spike being the singer and Buffy playing drums. It's like... Well, when you think about an excuse to give your mother, it's it's not the first excuse that ever came to my head. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm in a band and that's why I'm with this random guy and that's why we are out late. And <laughs> yeah, clearly, clearly, I needed guidance in the, in that regard because my mother never believes anything, any of my excuses. Uh, she's a clever woman, that's why. Um, <laughs> But um, but that's obviously at this point Spike is essentially offering to side with her in order to stop Angelus. And then she mentions about well you know Drew killed Kendra, and that's when obviously Spike is very proud. <laughs> <He's> like, oh, <laughs> she banged a slayer. <laughs> it's um it's a great scene. It's not the sort of place you kind of expect 
bike to end up when when he comes into the show in, in School Hard. It's not really something you would expect for him to just do a complete 180 and decide that, you know, he does actually, although his logic is sound, he does actually want the world to continue and but he's actually know, going to end up siding with Buffy. That's kind of why I want the originals, but with a thing for, because I think that he changes so much because Angelus re-enters his life and their whole dynamic is uh, part of what changes because he wants, you know, he wants his old life back. He wants Drew back. He wants uh, to live, live the life they did before they went to Sunnydale, you know? Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Say yeah. what you want about Spike, but he's a remarkably loyal boyfriend. <laughs> At this point, we know that He's been faking his injury in the wheelchair. He's literally just been doing it to lull Angelus into a false sense of security uh, that he's still wheelchair bound. But it must have been really difficult. Even if you're not a soulless vampire, if you're, if you're girlfriends, essentially, Angelus was her sire, but they also kind of had a thing. Yeah. And then she got with Spike. And it's, I suppose it's a bit like seeing your girlfriend with her ex-boyfriend is probably yeah. the best way that I can describe it. But not only that, it's your girlfriend and her ex-boyfriend getting it on in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't matter who you are, that's going to hurt. And it's obvious that he is driven literally by his love for her. He wants her to be his one and only. I suppose you could argue why is Drew kind of acting the way that she is? But she's mad as a box of frogs, so I don't think she really knows that what she's doing is causing problems. I think she's just kind of doing whatever she feels is what she wants to do. And I think I that's she's the way probably, she is. I think she's probably super happy that she has, you know, like more of her family back, you know, that... Uh... She's just a bit of a greedy lover. She wants yes. she wants her cake and she wants to eat it too. Greedy, 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 greedy. <laughs> <laughs> she wants them both and she's in the center of attention because Darla isn't there. So that must be pretty terrific for her. I mean, I wouldn't say no to being in that sandwich. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so this was family friendly. <laughs> But I'm afraid, children. Well, maybe it's just the sandwich where we're making sandwiches. <laughs> yes. There's there's the ham and there's the two pieces of bread. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think... There, I could, think there could be oil of some sort involved. <laughs> Let, let's call it butter. Um, and and I, think, I think we all know which part of the sandwich you're talking about being. Um, and then I think, I think we'll just leave it. Let's let's move into uh, another thing about Spike and Drew, and that is how in the world does Spike choke Drew? They don't breathe. I admittedly didn't put a great deal of thought into this. I just, I think a lot of the time, especially on this show, we're led to believe that vampires can't breathe. And that's why at the end of season one, Angel can't resuscitate Buffy because he has no breath. Therefore, Xander has to do it. But throughout the show, through seasons one to seven, we see thing, we see vampires do things that require breath. Uh, for example, we see Spike smoking. 
a lot. Yeah, that's uh, true. It all requires breath of some sort. So to be honest, I don't think they even thought that far ahead. Presumably, if if there is no breath, I mean, we don't know how the vampire anatomy works because obviously they consume blood. So presumably it goes into the stomach. But do they have like... Well, they don't have a heartbeat. Let's think about this. They don't have a heartbeat. <laughs> so they don't have any blood pumping through their veins. So then, I suppose, could you could argue how can they have sex? But let's not go there because that's yeah, just... I was going to say, it's going to be the most boring sandwich ever. <laughs> <laughs> See, the only thing I could think is if they if there was some sort of situation where there are obviously veins in the neck that... Uh, are quite important. And when I mean, I, I guess that, you know, they just kind of didn't think about it and that maybe one shouldn't overthink it, but it is really annoying that he does choke her and she passes out. Basically, if you've got no working respiratory system or any circulation, then I can't see how any sort of choke would be effective. Um, because... To be honest, he just knocks her out because his his thinking is, I'm going to knock her out and take her out of here. He could have just whacked her across the head. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's going to heal, so. Yeah. yeah. They just needed them out of there so that they could get to the Buffy and Jealous fight. Which uh-huh. is just so fantastically choreographed. and. I mean, I love watching, even though, you know, the stunt, Stunt doubles are glaringly obvious, and I don't even care. It's a great sword fight. And I did read that Sarah Michelle Gellar and David Boreanaz, they did do quite a lot of training with the swords because they wanted it to look authentic. Um, So, obviously, a lot of the close-up stuff is definitely them fighting, and then the the more kind of athletic stuff is the stunt doubles. And it's, it's a little bit unfortunate that you can tell the stunt doubles Partly because uh, the one who does David has, like, a receding hairline. And I know! <laughs> <laughs> and it's really noticeable as well. And it's a little bit off-putting. But you kind of just, really, you kind of just forgive it because it's such a great scene. It's so, it's just so well done. And I don't think there's, there's you, you can't gush enough about this particular scene and and about what, it does for the characters in that instance, but also, obviously, the the end of the scene um, where Buffy realizes that Angel has been reinsold as as part of of Willow's plan. That to be fair, Buffy didn't know about because when Buffy asked Xander what Willow said, Xander decided to say something completely different, which I think is the right call. I'm totally with Sandra on that. He did the right thing. I think it's... I think that she needed to be focused on killing Angelus, and if there was even a glimmer of hope of Angel returning, I don't think she would have been as strong in that fight. I do understand why he did it. I don't think he did it primarily for that reason. I think that we know that he is so jealous. Um, And I think he would get... He would do or say anything for Buffy to get rid of him. 
I actually think that in this occasion, his motives were clear, like that he has seen for months how tortured she has been and how much, and he knows how much she wants Angel back. And I do think that he actually just, he wanted her to survive this. So I think, I really think that that was more his motivation than jealousy, actually, for me. (laughs) Okay. Well, I I think it's interesting because... We don't know how Buffy would have reacted had she known what Willow was planning to do, but it's clear. You clearly see it on her face and on his face that that's what's happened. And yet she she plunges the... <laughs> I can't even think about it. She plunges the sword into his chest anyway, which is just an unbelievably emotional... But, I mean, she does that because she has to, because he has already... I mean, it's just like... yeah. Uh, I mean, I was watching that scene, and I was like, okay, the effects are not great with the Kofla, but Sarah's acting is fantastic. Yeah. Like, just the relief on her face when she hugs him, uh, when she, like, says, close your eyes uh, with this teary voice. Oh, it's, God, uh, it, could, it could honestly get me going. <laughs> yeah, I was like... It, just when she says close your eyes, I'm like, oh, that's when I start tearing up. Uh, it, she's just amazing. And also, I mean, putting a sword through your lover's heart uh, or whatever, uh, his chest, uh, as a 17-year-old, uh, she's she's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean... That's a hard thing to do. You, you've got to have a, a great deal of internal strength to be able to even contemplate... Even if your lover is, you know, a creepy 250-year-old vampire, uh, regardless, the amount of strength, mental and emotional strength that you must have to have to do that. And it's just heartbreaking at the end. And it, it just sets up the end of the, of the season is um, when she essentially packs it all in and, and goes to L.A., um, I absolutely love this is the fashion podcast. Thank you for coming. Uh, I absolutely love her. I'm sad dungarees because uh, those are the outfits she she puts on those whenever she's sad, and I think that's an amazing outfit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's going to have to be the end of the fashion podcast because I have no. No fashion watch to to admit. I have no fashion watch to admit, and that is Cordelia's yellow dress at the end of the episode, which is also amazing. <laughs> of course, Chris McCarpenter can make anything look amazing, but yeah. that yellow dress is really fine on her. I know we've kind of gone a bit back and forth, back and forth, and we've obviously talked about the end. But <laughs> Joyce's reaction to her finding out that Buffy is the Slayer and that basically Buffy has to do this, basically has to leave the house and Joyce responds with, if you leave this house, then you're not coming back, basically. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not a parent, but I have a parent and my mother said (laughs) similar things to me when I was just absolute that I was going out with my friends and she would say well you know if you leave this house then don't bother coming back and but I always did go back because I knew that my mum didn't mean it and it's quite clear that Joyce doesn't mean it but it's also quite clear that I don't think she thought that Buffy wouldn't come back 
No, I think she just that. I mean, she speaks out of frustration because she wants control of the situation, uh, and because she obviously has zero control over Buffy or what's happening at that moment. And I mean, also, let's face it, Buffy has just told her that she's a vampire slayer and like that she has to go save the world again. It sounds crazy. Like for us as viewers, it's a heartbreaking, lovely speech, but. If you're the mother, she sounds freaking crazy. So, of course, you want her to stay and, like, in sheer frustration, uh, I think Jerry blurted that out and didn't really think that Buffy was going to take it so seriously. And, um, I mean, it's very dramatic and, um, like, the end of the episode is very powerful that Buffy does take it that seriously. And, obviously, she has herself just well, she's been traumatized by having to kill Angel, so I guess maybe she needs to just take off uh, in general. Uh, but I am actually a little bit surprised that she would take her mother that seriously. Yeah, I mean, obviously at that point, she's just killed her boyfriend. But before that, you had Angelus basically taunting her, saying, no weapons, no friends, no hope, take all that away and what's left, me. It's the me moment where she go, he says that she has nothing left and she goes me and catches the sword between her hands and it's yeah one of the most amazing scenes of the whole show. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. love that moment. By this point, she doesn't not have any friends because her friends are still there. Yeah, but they're not there to help her. No, they're not. They're not physically so, there, I mean, but they were there... In the background, so I, from sort of Buffy's point of view, decided that she wants to leave because she can't go home because her mother has said that she can't. I guess I just still don't understand why why go to LA. I think that mostly, I would say mostly she leaves because you know it was so traumatic for her the whole thing, and I mean she's been tortured for months, and then she has to kill Angel, and she's just like like her secret is out, and she doesn't know. I mean, I, I guess maybe she's, like, a little bit afraid of how her mom is going to react and doesn't really, you know, I don't think she has the strength to have that conversation, you know, because she is dealing with her own emotional pain and trauma, so she just feels like she can't deal with her friends or her mom or anything. So I think that's why she takes off, not necessarily because she doesn't think she can't go home, but because she just can't deal, you know? Okay, well, to be honest, it's not something I've ever been through personally, so <laughs> I, may, maybe I just find it a bit difficult to uh, to relate. Um, well, I can relate to it, because when I was uh, 16, my boyfriend lost his soul and decided <laughs> to bring about the end of the world by, like, this weird demon thing, and I had to stab him through the heart, and it was, <laughs> it well, was terrible. <laughs> that must have been a very traumatic time for you. It was a super traumatic time, and uh, I waitressed in, in L.A. for a <laughs> So, okay, here's a question for you. The reason why we're discussing Becoming as a whole is because we did the big vote on the boards, and Becoming Part 2 was number one. Why do you think Becoming Part 2 beat other such classic episodes such as uh, Hirsch, Prophecy Girl, Once More with Feeling, The Gift, The Body. They're all outstanding episodes of Buffy, 
So why do you think Becoming Part 2 was better than all of those? Uh, I think... First and foremost, I do think that one can never underestimate the me moment. I think that that is a very iconic moment for the show and one that people remember very well. Like, uh, there are several episodes that are terrific but might not be as memorable. Uh, so, you know, when you have something that stands out and sticks out in your memory, you tend to kind of upvote that. Uh, so I think that's partly it, but I also think it's that, like, all the characters are really, like, top-notch here. They are, like, uh, I mean, they're great, fantastically written, they're funny, they're tragic, they're scary. Uh, it just hits all the high points with the characters and the story, and um, I also think that it's, you know, like, it's, like, Prop is a Girl is a great episode, but I think this is, like, where the show really hit a bit of a high point in terms of, like, having created this incredibly emotional finale that people were invested in or that people are invested in. Um, it's just fantastic high drama, basically. Um, and it's, yeah. I was the first person to admit that when I did the the poll originally, I had an idea of what would be number one. And you thought if, Hush? <laughs> I thought Hush and or I thought Once More With Feeling. Mainly because generally they are the episodes that people tend to remember. Yeah. Not because they're well, I suppose in a way they are a little bit gimmicky in that, you know, you've got the one with the music and the singing or the one where they've got no voice and generally they're, they're very easy to remember even if you're not a massive fan you can still remember them but then I kind of thought about it a bit more recently on UK TV a TV channel here for the 20th anniversary did a similar poll um, and it was the top 20 and uh, in that the top 10 was ever slightly different but the number one um, on that was once more with feeling and I kind of had a bit of a think about it and I was like, well, why is Once More With Feeling that number one and why on the boards was it number four? And I guess the only reason that I could think of was maybe exactly what I just said in that because you know those kind of episodes that are a little bit more of a gimmick, not a negative way, in a positive way, people who maybe aren't massive fans of the show who just casually maybe watch, have been watching Buffy on and off for the last 20 years or so, would remember them. And, uh, and Hush, obviously, was also very high in that poll as well. And whereas the members on the boards basically live and breathe Buffy, there's nothing about Buffy that people on the boards don't know or haven't researched. And it's very clear the love for the show is kind of deep-rooted. Season two is very, very beloved. Yeah. And for me, thinking about becoming as a whole, as an entity, and why it could be number one, I completely agree with, with what you said. It's an outstandingly written and directed and performed. Everything is very tight in the episode. There's not really any kind of fat to trim off. But it's also the season as a whole, more sort of towards the latter end of the season, starting with sort of surprise and innocence, and the sort of emergence of Angelus and the introduction of 
Drusilla and Spike. And just the way that Angelus as a character is so completely different to Angel. You know, we're used to Angel. He's comfort food. He's always there. He's dependable. He's reliable. And then for him to just turn so psychotically and dramatically. Um, I think part of the season's uh, popularity and also the finale, why it stands out, and it's because, I mean, just look at the enduring love there is for Romeo and Juliet. People love a tragic love story. Um, and having, you know, building up to that where you have to kill your lover is uh, very, I mean, it's just compelling watching, kind of, because it's, it's that tragedy that... I mean, people crave that kind of tragedy. Yeah, there's no way it would work as well if she was just killing Angelus. No. It would just be yet another slay. It wouldn't mean anything to anyone. So the fact that she does it, and she knows it's Angel, but she knows that she has to kill him to save the world, it's a great end to one of the best seasons of the show. And obviously... Buffy Boards loves season two and Becoming Part Two is is one of the greatest finales that it's ever produced. I don't think there's anything else. <laughs> we we can't keep enough praise on, on the episode or anything. It's outstanding. It really is. I mean, I would have loved to have been sitting here talking about Once More With Feeling. I, I would have loved to have been sitting here talking about Hush, but I don't think we could have talked about them in the sort of depth and detail that we can talk about Becoming. Because there's a lot more substance to Becoming. It's more... But I do think in general that Buffy as a show has very strong finales. Um, I always think it's hard to rank them because it is a show that just... It just has good final episodes. <laughs> there's so many final episodes that are great. I mean, it's like... Restless is super great. The Gift is very emotionally resonant. Uh, graduation Day, Park 1 and... I mean, it's just... Uh, just a lot of these amazing finales. Um, it does so, know how to do good finales. <laughs> yes. So I, I guess I feel like I'm not so surprised that this one won because um, I always assumed that it would be one of the final episodes that would be uh, number one rather than like once more with feeling or hush. Yeah. Because if you've got a season of TV and it's building and building to something you don't know what... I guess the only way I can elaborate on what I'm what I'm trying to say <laughs> in a very inventive way is, you know, the pressure that builds when you've got like a volcano and the pressure will keep building and keep building until eventually it just explodes. And Buffy as a show is, is very good at building up the, the tension and the drama and just kind of letting loose in in the finale. And, and this is a great example of it letting loose, but still keeping everything kind of so controlled and so tight and and everything kind of so well done it doesn't ever run away with itself it doesn't ever go crazy or it's just done and it's done well yeah it has that uh, great um, peppering of humor like um, I hear in my notes when Giles thinks that Sander is a vision that they're making (laughs) him and he goes why would they make you see me (laughs) he's like yeah good point (laughs) But also when when he's being tortured by uh, by Angelus, and uh, I just like to say, I switch between Angelus and Angelus, and I don't know why I do it. I've, I've noticed that I've done it a couple of times, and I don't I don't know why I always get the pronunciation wrong. Maybe it's a Brit thing, um, 
But I know, I know that it's Angelus, but my head, it's Angelus. And I know we've talked about pronunciations of things before, but I just thought I'd mention that. If I'm switching, it's not because I'm doing it on purpose. I'm just... Don't worry, your pronunciation of Angelus is not going to make me walk out on this podcast. I'm not a drama queen like you, Miss Shakira fan. Let's, okay, let's divulge. We had, we had many conversations over the course of the time planning and preparing these podcasts and just generally chit-chatting. And uh, we ended up on the topic of Shakira. And uh, and and, uh, and, I, I, no. <laughs> and and I managed to get in a couple of Shakira quotes into our conversation about you know breasts being small and humble and and um, et cetera et cetera and um, and then the absolute travesty that Tati <laughs> doesn't even know the song "Beautiful Liar" by Shakira and Beyonce. It's just, I mean, honestly, guys, I was ready to walk out. I was like, if you don't know, beautiful. She was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. Literally done. Stop recording. (laughs) Yeah, we we have very very random conversations before we start. I don't know what you mean. I I obviously think that in planning this podcast, uh, how breasts are small and humble, (laughs) so they're not confused with mountains, seems like a perfectly logical thing to be discussing. Um, are you suggesting that that should be the title of the podcast? <laughs> to be <honest>. <laughs> uh, I I don't think anyone would would anyone listen to a podcast called "Lucky That My Breasts Are Small and Humble," so you don't confuse them with mountains. Maybe mm, I'm would. thinking we would attract the wrong crowd. I think maybe our listenership would spike. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> the pun. I didn't mean to get get him in there. Um, he just you sat to a lot of Yes, you went there. <laughs> yeah, we um we talk a lot about uh, in our conversations about my love for Spike yeah, and bad we... boys in general. Yeah. Whereas and, uh, <laughs> wise and mature women such as myself are not drawn to the allure of the bad boy. Although I will admit that watching Becoming Part One and jealous watches Buffy fight and he looks completely evil and he's stalking her and it is a little bit I was like okay maybe I get the bad boy thing a little bit bit more (laughs) maybe it's just that I want my bad boys to be tall dark and handsome (laughs) maybe you want your bad boys to be doing some synchronized singing and dancing wearing tight t-shirts a la NSYNC from the 1990s you're all I ever wanted. <laughs> um, I'd just like to add that it was Taki's idea for us to to do a synchronised video dance number <laughs> to promote the podcast. <laughs> uh, Absolutely. Like, the, keep your peepers open for that. That's happening. <laughs> and it's probably going to be to Beautiful Liar um, <laughs> by, um, by Shakira and Beyonce because as... Uh, as I quite rightly pointed out, the uh, the song itself has uh, has the amazing lyrics of uh, Beyonce, Beyonce, Shakira, Shakira, and I figured that we could easily put our names into that um, and just go Athena, Athena, Taki, and it would work really well. And that is how our podcast empires begin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we finish off, I have one more thing in my notes uh, about the it. very end of Becoming, part two. 
Um, well, partly, it's, you know, it's a great ending with her walking off and taking the bus and leaving. But before that, we see the gang gather at school and they're standing around talking. And they're like, oh, well, she has to show up sometime. Like, still have school. And then they walk into school. And then we see Buffy down on the street watching them. And, I mean, it, it looks great. Just... It looks perfect, but it is a little bit funny that I'm like, nobody turned their head. She's literally standing on the street. <laughs> like, she's standing right there. You could just turn your head slightly at an angle, and you will see her. <laughs> I just took it that they were so interested at getting to school and getting into class that they, you know, it's like when horses are blinkered, and they can't <laughs> see like anything to the left and right. They can only see straight on. It's a bit like that, I think, when you go to school in America. It's like, right, we're here, we're at school, let's go in and let's start learning. <laughs> yeah, I that must be up at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I guess we've said everything that we need to say about... Yeah, I guess story. we've hit a kind of natural end. And I'm really sorry for anybody listening to this who hasn't watched these episodes because... Oh, yeah. Spoiler alert! <laughs> if you haven't them, A, spoiler alert, B, uh, we took what one might call a scattershot focus here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, we don't tend to look at episodes in any sort of chronological order. Um, <laughs> we just kind of talk about the bit 20 minutes in, and then we talk about the bit that's 30 minutes in, and then we talk about the bit that's 10 minutes in, and uh, that's just kind of how it works. Maybe that's why we want more of Drusilla, because we can relate to her. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I... I am the, calling you mad. Well, <laughs> I I see the stars, and I, I give them names, but I give them the same name. So it's just something that I do. It's my thing. Yeah, it's just terribly confusing, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so... I guess we'll just end it there and say goodbye. And But never fear, for we will be back next month for another riveting episode of Once More With Podcast. And it'll be fun. And there may or may not be an accompanying dance video. Who knows? It'll, we'll leave it as a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a da- da- dance video, and to it will come Athena's rendition of the entire Once More With Feeling soundtrack. <laughs> you are obsessed. Yes, I am. You mentioned it once, and I will talk about it until it happens. Well, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to comment at this stage because my lawyer has basically suggested that I basically not um, commit to anything, uh, just in case you know contracts being signed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, legalities. It's it's all it's all very very boring. But um, to be honest, I feel like I need to to end right now and say that I've been Athena, Athena. And I've been uh, talking, I, I don't know the song, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I've been Morgan Freeman. Oh, Morgan <laughs> Freeman, you're you back. It. <laughs> uh, now, kids, stay in school. It's cool. <laughs> it just sounds like you're just putting on a really low voice. <laughs> I don't even, know what you're talking about. You're not even trying with the Morgan Freeman now. You're just making it up as you go along. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> but I'm a beautiful liar, so... Oh! I can get away with it! <laughs> well, you're all I ever wanted. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>